This is the Definitely Uncertain podcast, brought to you by Goldrock Capital. Each week, we look at how high net worth families can improve their lives, decisions, and investments in a deeply uncertain world. We always aim to provide practical information, even if we can't offer specific investment advice. This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast, and my name is Darren Rockman. I am a partner at Goldrock Capital, the 21-year-old multifamily office servicing high net worth families in Israel and around the world. And I am really pleased to welcome back onto the podcast my old friend, uh, Dr. Tzvi Schreiber. Hi, Tzvi. Hey, Darren. For those of you who don't remember from last time, we had Tzvi on probably about a year ago. He is a many-time entrepreneur in Israel. He has a host of successes behind him, and today... He is the CEO of Freitos, which is, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what Freitos is a little later on. He's also the author of a number of books, most recently Money Going Out of Style, which was really topical when we spoke about it in 2021, pre all the crazy inflation, which has certainly made money go out of style. So Tzvi, as usual, was ahead of the curve. So Tzvi, we're going to talk a lot about inflation, supply chains, but in order to set the scene, you are the founder and head of Freitos, which is exactly in this area. Tell us a little bit about what Freitos is, what you do, and that'll help us move on to the other part of the podcast. Sure. Well, down to make it simple, Freitas is like booking.com for goods. So if you want to book a flight, you go to booking.com, kayak or skyscanner. If you want to ship a container by ocean or air cargo, you go to freitas.com. And so people may not appreciate that this is a very large industry, obviously. A significant proportion of the world economy is global trade. About $20 trillion a year of goods are transported. And there's an industry of well over a trillion dollars to transport those goods. And if you look at the labels on your clothes and your devices, you'll remind yourself that most of what you buy is imported. So this is a big part of our lifestyle, big part of our economy. Some of your listeners may be surprised to know that this whole industry is still mostly offline. We've started to change that. Some other people have started to change that. But still today... If you call up uh, what's called a freight forwarder, which is like a sort of a sophisticated travel agent for goods in a way, and you ask to ship stuff, even on a major trade lane like China, US, or India, France, you'll often wait two or three days for a price quote. The price quote will typically be non-binding, subject to change, the, the transit time will be vague. So you've got this very big, very important industry still doing business uh, to a large extent in in, uh, 20th century style. And Freitas is the digital booking platform, which is starting to digitalize all of that. This is for both water-based cargo, so shipping, and also for air cargo, correct? Correct. Take into account that very roughly by volume, 90% of goods are going by ocean, which is much Mm -hmm. cheaper, but much slower. But by value, I think over 30% of goods are going by air, because a lot of the more expensive stuff, whether it's jewelry or high fashion or iPhones, um, a lot of the more valuable stuff is going by air. Having said that, all kinds of goods go by air. Whenever the ocean supply chain fails us, and that's happening a lot at the moment, then even regular fashion or toys may go by air because there just isn't time and ocean is delayed. So that's a good segue into what we've, we, we wanted to talk about, which is the disruptions that have happened around the supply chains. Let's just take a step back a couple of years and just talk through the story of what happened in 2020, what was the immediate impact of COVID and how the sort of domino effect has spread to, to all the way till today. 
Yeah. So yeah, in 2020 there was, there was a virus which uh, was doing the rounds. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't I barely remember it anymore. Um, Something about and, putting cleaners up your nose and that type of thing. Right. And the way the world responded to that was very different to how anyone predicted. Initially, of course, the stock markets crashed and there was a recession. Coming out of that, something happened, which I don't know anyone who predicted this, which is that actually people spent record amounts of money in 2021 on goods, on imported goods, on goods in general. Retail broke all kinds of records. Of course, it was more e-commerce and less physical retail, but the total retail was breaking records. And the reason for that, of course, that now we understand is because people were spending less money on travel and less money on restaurants and other service. And yet uh, there was still plenty of money to go around because uh, the economy survived uh, fairly well and the governments printed a lot of money to the point you made on inflation. And so People had uh, about as much money as before, but but they spent more of it on goods. Uh, Additionally, people were spending more time at home, so they bought more junk for their home. And this took everyone by surprise. In America, which is obviously the biggest economy, um, people were buying roughly 15% more than the pre-COVID record. Now, the shipping network was not designed for that. Ships are expensive, cranes are expensive, trucks and trains are expensive. Nobody... (laughs) designed this network with 15% spare capacity network, which was normally growing 2 or 3% a year. Mm. Um, and so in 2021, we got a very significant uh, bottlenecks and, and just backlogs where the, the ports couldn't cope, the, the trucks couldn't cope, the rail hubs couldn't cope. There was backlogs everywhere. So that was the main, and we still haven't fully recovered from that. Uh, spending right. has was, eased a little, and, but uh, we still haven't fully recovered from and, that. And by backlogs, ships hanging outside of ports, waiting to get yeah. a, a berth, uh, goods sitting on docks, not being able to get unloaded because, and trucks stuck at the outside of major hubs, not be able to get their goods off the truck. Exactly, all of the above. And yes, the most visible one, which everyone will remember, is uh, at the peak, more than 100 ships hanging outside uh, Long Beach. I was in Long Beach and they did tactfully ask them to wait just beyond the horizon. So, so you, had to, you didn't need a drone or a helicopter to see them, but there was well over 100 right. ships at one point. It's less right. now. But yes, backlogs at every other part of the network as well. So that was the most significant thing that happened. Now, there have been other things as well. There's been uh, weather, um, increasingly uh, common weather disruptions. There's been lockdowns. And of course, COVID is still a huge issue in China. There have been sure. uh, lockdowns. There, there continue to be rolling lockdowns in China. Uh, and more recently, um, as the labor shortage takes hold, there's been a lot of labor disputes. Uh, Port of Oakland was shut down and many other uh, labor right. disputes. And then, of course, we then had uh, the Ukraine and some of the disruptions there, which also uh, created all types of issues uh, as those ports, which are important hubs for wheat and obviously for the requirements to replace uh, some of the natural gas coming out of Russia. Yeah, absolutely. So that's right, to energy and food, but also actually an interesting disruption to air cargo from a couple of angles. First of all, there's a fairly significant air cargo called Airbridge Cargo, which is Russian, which mm-hmm. got, got sanctioned in various ways and taking some capacity out of the air market. But also all the other, almost all the Western airlines can't fly over Russian airspace now. And suddenly the flight from, let's say, Europe to China, China. is longer than it was, which of course reduces capacity because you can do fewer flights per week. And then, of course, the cost of the fuel and uh, as well. So that's also been a significant factor, absolutely. So what you're describing is a sort of a, a network that really was unable to handle what was being thrown at it and it started to break apart in all different places, on sea, on rail, trucks, everything. How did that get reflected into freight costs? And I know that at Freightos, you, you track these very carefully. Yeah, uh, that's right. We're not just track that, but we provide the indexes, which everyone else uses to track it. So we publish every day the FBX, the Freitas Baltic Index, which is available on Bloomberg screens and the like. And every so Uh, often on LinkedIn as well, like yesterday. 
<laughs> yeah. And actually, an exciting thing since we last spoke is that the CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the world's biggest derivatives exchange, now trades futures on our index that we published. Wow. Nice. So that's become a significant index there or benchmark now with, with trading as well. We also published the FAX index, the Freitas Air Index. So I think it's fair to say that we published the leading indexes that everyone uses to track ocean prices and air prices. And yeah, ocean prices in their peak last year were 10 times pre-COVID level. So if I look at FBX01, which is the price of shipping a 40-foot container from China to the US West Coast, which is obviously perhaps the most important trade lane, certainly one of the most important. So that was one to $2,000 pre-COVID. It was fluctuating in that range. It mm -hmm. peaked at about $20,000, hmm. uh, believe it or not. Now it's eased back. I, I didn't look uh, for a couple of days, but around uh, $7,000 or so. So right. still about three times, higher. yes, uh, about three times more than pre-COVID, three times less than the peak. Right. Still significantly elevated, but also a lot less. Air has not been as volatile. Certainly those prices have gone up a bit with energy costs and other issues. But on the other hand, there's a lot of capacity. So a lot of uh, flights are getting back in the air because remember that half of air cargo goes on passenger flights. So as passenger right. flights come back, there's more capacity. So it doesn't happen that as passenger planes are empty, there's more room for cargo. It's actually the opposite. Yes, it's the opposite. Now, having said that, you're right that in certain cases, airlines took the passenger plane and either and put, put boxes, put ch chickens uh, yeah. on the seats, yeah, chickens. But yeah, they've strapped in boxes on the seats, or they actually took out the seats and converted it into a freighter. So there was a little bit of that, but that's quite an expensive thing. So overall, when passenger flights were cancelled, there was a lot less capacity for cargo overall. And that reduction in price is that effectively a reflection of the system being under less stress? Is it on the supply side? That there are more trucks available, there are more ships available, or is it that demand is coming off? What is moving there? On the ocean side, it's almost all demand. Uh, the supply of ocean uh, capacity is fairly stable. Fixed, yeah. It takes a long time to build a new ship. So that's happening a little bit. Uh, occasionally, a new ship comes because people have been building new ships, which is also hard when the supply chains aren't working well. But they are trying to build new ships and new cranes. So there's a, gradually a little bit of new capacity. But by far, what moves ocean pricing by most is the demand. And yes, demand has been easing a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, uh, ironically, of course, there was the big lockdown in Shanghai. So that reduces supply of goods, but actually reduces demand for shipping. So that actually gave the ports a little bit of time to catch up. It wasn't any help for the supply chains, but it was helpful for the shipping network. And in the last couple of months, as the Fed has been signaling to the markets that they are getting much more serious about fighting inflation and effectively bringing on some form of slowdown, probably recession if we're not already there, that really the sort of driver of reduced demand? Or is it that just the binge buying that happened in 2021 has now ended? Everybody's now spending their money on holidays, haircuts, and dog grooming or whatever other services they're spending money on. Is there any way of passing those out? You can pass them out because you can look at overall consumer spending versus spending on goods. I don't have those numbers at my fingertips, but I think it's definitely both. I think obviously yeah. the economy has slowed down a bit and overall consumer spending is going to slow down a bit because of uh, presumably because of inflation and interest rates, as you said, even though uh, employment is still pretty full in the West. And yes, without a doubt, uh, people are spending more money on services and right. uh, getting out of the house more. So right. I think both, yeah. And clearly having prices go from $20,000 a container down to $7,000, and that number is going down, is obviously reducing cost for producers, which is then going to probably reduce costs ultimately for the consumer. Well, I never say anything is going down. It has gone down. That doesn't imply... 
momentum, it's quite possible that you're right, but it could also go up. Who knows? But yes, that's a significant part of inflation when it comes to the goods part of the consumer price index. Shipping, it depends a lot on the good, but shipping can be anything from 3 to 20% of the price of uh, imported products. And most products are imported in the West. So yes, the shipping price itself is a non-trivial component of inflation. Right. And I assume it's also, you mentioned earlier that a lot of juices actually moved from sea cargo onto air cargo, which is vastly more expensive. If your Levi Strauss jeans are now going on a ship rather than going uh, on a plane, uh, that, that also will have an impact. Yeah, for sure. I don't think anyone is moving everything to air. There are some products, including, by the way, fast fashion, interestingly. Uh, Inditex Zara move, moves a lot of their stuff by air because they change right. it so quickly. So there's sure. all kinds of things which go by air regularly. But for regular fashion or toys or other goods which aren't very high value, I don't think anybody's moving everything to air. But they do use air to compensate when their ship's stuck outside Long Beach and their shelf right. is empty. They will use it. And yes, that's very expensive. So that yeah. will be a, a factor yeah. as well. And as the system starts to heal itself, obviously, they're going to have to do that a lot less than they're having to do last year. I assume so, but who knows if the system's going to heal itself. I mean, yes, right. we're getting past COVID probably, but like you said, there's this awful war in Ukraine, there's increasing weather issues, there's labor issues, COVID is still a big issue in China. Um, there's still no shortage of disruptions, which is bad for the system. Honestly, it's good for Freitas because we're a digital booking platform, so when people need to right. switch around a lot, when things are stable and people can just create a long-term contract, then that's less good for us. But the world isn't working that way for all the reasons we said. People need the agility to switch around. And that's actually good for Freitas as a, as a digital right. booking platform. And speaking of Freitas, so how have you found the transition by you know all of the various stakeholders in the global freight business getting off pieces of paper and, and faxes and then moving on to a 21st century ocean? Well, it was very slow and then it was very fast, if I can say it like that. <laughs> if you look at air, which is further along that transition, right. it took a shockingly long time for any airlines to have an API, a digital connection for book pricing and booking air cargo. We got the first API in 2018 from Lufthansa, and then we got two more in 2019. But even going into 2020, we only had three airline groups who had any kind of API, right. any, any kind of digital connection, which is really weird when you compare it to Passenger, which started its electronic journey. I probably mentioned this last time, I can't remember, 1963. That's right. when American Airlines started Sabre, and you could do some kind of yep. it. They didn't, they didn't call it digital in those days, but you could, if you had a big enough IBM mainframe, you could actually book a passenger electronically in 1963. <laughs> you, um, you bought a half million dollar mainframe, and then you could save two dollars. But if you were the world's biggest travel agent, then maybe you invested Why in not? the mainframe, yeah. and you did that. So sure. uh, <laughs> that was 1963. American Airlines uh, gave us an API for cargo in this year, in 2022. So there was a bit of a lag <laughs> between uh, passenger and cargo. So that was weird how long that took. Having said that, since around 2020, 2021, as we got enough airlines, and then we got some of the big guys, Qatar and Turkish and uh, Lufthansa and the IEG Group, which is British yep. Airways, Air France, KLM. So as those guys came along, the industry adopted a digital booking on our platform. Our platform is called Web Cargo. They adopted it at an amazing pace. It's grown easily 100x in the last two years, and it's growing tens of percent every quarter. So that's been, it took a lot of patience till that started. Right. But when it did, it's been amazing to see that the industry right. can change quite quickly, especially when right. it's just booking, choosing a flight and booking air cargo on a web page is just so much easier than phoning around the airlines. It's a no-brainer. And we yeah. don't charge the freight forwarders to use that, and they just adopted it really rapidly. We have now right. 3,500 right. forwarders. So that, that was exciting. Air Ocean is still taking. We're only this year starting to get Ocean Liners who are getting on board with any kind of digital 
strategy. One or two exceptions, but it's really only starting this year, next year. But okay, I think we knew when I started Fredos, I knew I was tackling a big conservative industry. I didn't realize, and like I said, how conservative I was, really was. Realized how long it would take. But there's a compensation, which is that once it's ready, once you get to this tipping point, it, it can go very quickly, yeah. which is great. Yeah. And, and another example of Corona accelerating digital transformation and bringing forward changes that were supposed to happen, should have happened, needed that that catalyst. Yeah, to some extent, I, th- I think it was happening anyway, because as we went into 2020, we already had three airline groups and a pipeline. So even before mm-hmm. anyone had out of COVID, we could see it was happening. So COVID gave it an extra push forward, but the time had come either way. Okay. Uh, but by the way, considering the fact that my wife lost her suitcase, and it took her eight weeks to get it back. Is there anything you're doing in the <laughs> in the suitcase? Yes, I travel with a trolley bag. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so given the growth of Fraser, the sort of next step is that you, you filed or a file to go public? Yeah, so we signed a definitive business combination agreement with mm-hmm. a SPAC, a blank check company called Gesher One. And now the next stage is we'll file a prospectus for the SEC. And we have committed capital. I know some SPACs have got a bad name potentially, but this is a SPAC which came with some very high quality long-term investors who committed to put in $80 million and committed to lock it up and leave that capital in. So in that respect, it's really a, a, a very high quality transaction, I think. And that's right. Now we need to file a prospectus with the SEC, discuss that with them back and forth for a few months. And as soon as they say that's ready, hopefully that merger will close and will be traded on NASDAQ. And why now? Why is the time to go public now, considering markets have been you know, dodgy? Is that the word? Uh, or difficult <laughs> uh, a word, <laughs> throughout yes. this year? Yeah. I think um, the reason was more to do with the timing for Freitas, not the markets. So markets right. are what they are. We're not going public to exit. We're going public to raise capital and to have a currency with which we can make more acquisitions. And if the market's low or high on the day that we uh, start trading, that's really not relevant to the long-term rationale for going public. The long-term rationale for going public is as a better way to raise capital now and a better way to raise capital in the future. And because there's a lot of interest in the, I think we've reached also predictable growth now. We got to a stage where we can actually predict what you need when you're public. We can actually sure. predict how fast our platform will grow. And and I think what helps us a lot is the attention, this podcast being an example. There's a lot of interest in supply chains now. sure. Uh, and so I don't need to spend as long uh, as I used to. I still give the <laughs> quick intro, but three or four right. years ago, I had to spend more time explaining to the average investor why. Why this was even interesting. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so that's helpful. I think that the market wants to see solutions to this. Fantastic. Best of luck with that. And I hope that it's, Thank you uh, very much. it's, it's a huge hit. And, and thanks for giving us the insights into what's actually going on now, because obviously everybody's watching the inflation numbers. We're not quite clear. It's not clear to anybody where things are going. And freight is just such a huge part of that. So important. Thanks, Lawrence. Terrific. Thank you very much. And thanks everybody for listening and watching. And there are more podcasts coming your way. Keep a lookout. Thanks. Bye-bye. 